0: Good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, boat rockers who are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you not live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina. We're pre-recording the show due to the time restraints of our guests, I'm also the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us today, and if you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. We are broadcasting that. We're streaming that uh, right now, even as I speak. And uh, scroll down right there on the right side of the page. That's right. You can see the face that's made for video right there. You can also watch that live video feed on my Twitter account at fpp_tim. Tim. Our Periscope and Twitch accounts are Setting Brush Fires. Facebook is Bradley Dean SOL. Our YouTube channel is B. Dean, Sons of Liberty. We're on the front page of news dot com, and also on DLive.TV at the Sons of Liberty. Not just Sons of Liberty; you had to put in the Sons of Liberty there. And we appreciate our new friends on dlive as well. And then if you're branching out on other social media uh, networks, you can do that at Spreeley, Gab, MeWe, Minds, and USA at Sons of Liberty and Sons of Liberty Media. Now today we're having a, a special show, and it's because you know we like to bring people on who are doing things. We we brought uh, people like Catherine Henry on, a constitutional scholar, not scholar. but <laughs> well, She is a scholar, but she's a constitutional attorney out of Michigan. She's been taking a stand there along with some other people in the state of Michigan against uh, Governor Whitmer. Uh, she, now she's being um, pretty much attacked uh, for her stand against the, the tyrant there. And uh, But we, we also bring on all kinds of other people. And about a week and a half ago or so, um, a week ago, this past Sunday, uh, Pastor Chuck Baldwin out there at Liberty Fellowship in Kalispell, Montana, declared that they were filing a lawsuit against the governor there, uh, Mr. Bullitt, And I, I, if I'm, I'm not, he'll have to correct me here in a second. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's the outgoing governor now. There is a new one coming in, I believe, and they're going to be bringing a lawsuit against him over the unconstitutional unlawful, tyrannical mandates that have come out of his office. And so he and another gentleman are joining me, Alan Baker, and they're on the line with me. And so I want to say welcome to the Sons of Liberty, guys.
1: It's good to be with you again, Tim.
2: Thank you, Tim.
0: Yeah, good to have you guys. Okay, so let's let's see if we can get to the heart of this. And let's start with you, Pastor Baldwin, first. Um, let's uh, kind of give our the listeners and the viewers... Um, a sentiment of what's going on out there in Montana. And correct me if I'm wrong. That you guys did get. You're getting rid of Bullock. You're, you're getting a new guy in there, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. What? Well, how about yeah. giving? How about giving people a little bit? I'm sorry, Tim. I didn't mean to talk over. No,
0: you. that's okay. Uh, if we have he a delay, I don't know why we're having a delay on the phone line here. But um, why don't you give people an idea of what's going on out there? And what about what brought about this lawsuit? Was this your idea? Was it a group of people's idea or what was going on? Give people a little background on that.
1: Yeah, first of all, to clarify uh, the election situation, uh, it, Steve Bullock was term limited out of the governor's chair this year. So he ran against Senator Steve Daines for the U.S. Senate seat here in Montana. And and he lost, so he is no longer anything except that he's his day outgoing governor. And in the middle of January, of course, he'll be leaving the governor's seat. And the new governor is a Republican. His name is uh, Greg Gianforte, and he he won the governor's race. So uh, there's been a complete change of personnel in the in several of the uh upper levels of state government here and so Steve Bullock is the outgoing governor so we are very very happy about that the um, the lawsuit we have been discussing this with other groups and with attorneys for quite a long time many, many months and obviously th- there's a lot that goes into this you don't just overnight decide to file a, a lawsuit no, and the first thing we want to do is make sure that we had the right attorney to carry this case for us. And we believe we have that attorney. He is a constitutional scholar. He's one, He's regarded as one of the, the best attorneys in the entire state of Montana. He's He's located in Missoula. And we have been in discussions with him for many, many months as to not only taking the case, but exactly what the case would be. And the way you present the suit is paramountly important, as anybody can imagine, as to the potential outcome. And then we had to you know, discuss the idea of plaintiffs and people that would be a part of the lawsuit. So I, when I announced it on Sunday to my audience at Liberty Fellowship, that we were doing this. We also invited people that were interested in joining us to to do a couple things. One, they could become plaintiffs and actually have their name on that document and be be part of the suit. And of course, there are qualifications for that. And then uh, there were others that that could support financially, the lawsuit As, as everyone knows, this is not cheap. And and this attorney is, is, is worth every penny that he's, that he's making on this case. He's, his expertise is second to none. So we invited people to help us, and uh, we've had a good response of people both in the state of Montana and around the country that are helping the suit. Now, the question about are, are we doing it ourselves, And no, we are part of three main plaintiffs' groups. One group is here in the Flathead Valley where we're located. The other group is in is in Missoula County, and the third uh, group is in Bozeman area. So the three groups have combined for this lawsuit, and the people involved in these three groups number in the in the thousands. So th- this suit is being carried to Helena by our attorney, and then that represented group is is numbering the thousands and more people are signing on board we're getting more people that are wanting to become plaintiffs we're getting more people that are wanting to help financially get <clears throat> this cause and our suit is a little bit different than the other suits that have been filed around the country like in california michigan you mentioned wisconsin pennsylvania other places our suit, and I'm going to let Alan – I wanted Alan. Alan is my son-in-law, by the way, Tim. Okay. And he is uh, he is a great asset in our fellowship. He's been with us from day one. And he and his family, he married my daughter. And so he is the one that has been involved in the nuts and bolts of all of this, discussing the details with the attorney and getting the strategy and everything done. So that's why I wanted him to be on here because he is really familiar with the nuts and bolts of all of this. But what we are doing in a nutshell, I'll just say before I let you uh, bring him in on it, that what we're doing is we're challenging the constitutionality of the directives issued by the governor. And by the way, the, the governor and the state health department Uh, are are also targeted in this lawsuit it's not just the governor's office because it is the state health department and the various county health departments under that rubric that are the ones that are enforcing these mandates such as the wearing of masks and and you know shutting businesses down or limiting their hours of operation or uh, social distancing it's all coming through these um, health agencies around the state, so they are also uh, listed in the is, is, in the lawsuit. But, but but what we are doing is is we are challenging the constitutionality of all of this, and the fact that we believe this is a blatant violation of our not only our U.S. Constitution, uh, but also the Montana State Constitution and our Republican form of government, which is mandated in the Constitution. So this this lawsuit, I believe, is a groundbreaking lawsuit for the entire country. If we prevail in this lawsuit, th- this will be, a, as far as I know, the first lawsuit in the country that directly challenges the constitutionality of all of these mandates. Usually they're focused on particulars and nuances and it's, you know, maybe uh, they were uh, discrimination situations. You know, they, they come at it from a variety of issues, but we are going to the heart, what we believe is the heart of the matter, which is these are blatant abridgments, these mandates, these executive orders, these are blatant abridgments of our constitutional liberties. And that is the challenge of the suit Our attorney is a constitutional scholar, and that's the way he is going to argue the case. And so if we prevail in this case, a precedent will be set around the country of the unconstitutionality of these, uh, we believe, egregious uh, dictates by this governor in Montana and also by implication, the other governors around the country.
0: Well, before we bring Alan in, uh, and maybe Alan wants to speak to this, too. What's going to be different in this? And say what happened in Michigan. I mean, they went to the Supreme Court there. They were uh, that her orders were deemed unconstitutional; that they were unlawful. Um, they have tremendous impact. So, it's it's not like when they do this, they're. Um, What's the word? It's not like they're doing this and nobody's harmed by it. Lots of people are harmed by it. There are, some people have, obviously, I think you could probably tie it back to some people have lost their lives. Some people have lost their livelihoods, their businesses, and things of this nature. What's any different than what's going on in Michigan and what's going on there with you guys in Montana?
1: Yeah, and I, I can't speak to the, the specifics of the Michigan case. Uh, maybe Alan knows more about that than I do. I, all I know is what I read in the, in the media about it. But I I know that that we are challenging the constitutionality of the order. That we're not, you know, going after some of the peripheral issues. So I I really can't address the Michigan lawsuit. I haven't read it or any such thing as that. But I I just know that that what we're doing here in Montana is strictly going after the constitutionality. Or the unconstitutionality, actually, of the, the of the directives. So, Alan, why don't you answer that if you know more about that, and maybe explain a little bit more about what what the particulars are here in Montana? Yeah, go ahead, Alan.
2: Sure, sure. And to start with, so what happened in Michigan in reading that ruling is the code there has got two sections. One is public safety. One is public um, um, welfare. police state type things public safety public safety and public health and what they attorneys in that case hung their hat on the technicality that the governor was pulling police state powers from the public safety code and applying it for a public health uh, issue and so she was trying to take Police powers from the sub public safety and apply it for public health, and that's how they they got her on the technicality there. But the more important general conclusion that that court made was the conclusion that oh, and by the way, you can't do this anyways because you, the separation of powers, you can't delegate to um, the uh, to the executive legislative powers. When when I first. We, like like Chuck said, we've been talking about this and studying this for several months, and then talking to some people around the state. You know, in about our situation, we have we have two sections of the Montana Code, Title Ten and Title Fifty, that are applicable here. Title Ten basically gives the governor the authority to declare an emergency, and there's. And that activates certain other portions of the code, among them being Title 50. And Title 50 is where the DPHHS, which is the state health department, is authorized to start doing things through their their local health departments. And so in talking to people about this months ago, it was how do we rein in this Title 50 exercise by the health departments that can, that have per that code, a great deal of authority and latitude and under the hysteria that everybody is under the idea of rescinding title 10 and title 50 just didn't seem possible but certainly desirable to see it amended and we can get into the fallacies of the code as written and the michigan case came out and it just made the kind of overall conclusion that like i said oh by the way you can't violate separation of powers Immediately, my mind went back to, well, if we've got a precedent from another state, why worry about just revising Title 10 and Title 50? This needs to be brought to the state of Montana, and we need a, a judgment here. So when our legislative session begins this year or next year in January, we have the, the precedent to not only revise but actually rescind Title 10 and Title 50 and get, you know, based on some of the same reasoning of the separation violation of separation of powers. So at, at that point, there's that going on from the top down by that, I mean, by the state. And we're also battling here locally and all the counties are battling locally. Their local county health departments implementing restrictions in response to the governor's uh, directives. So we kind of had two things going on and that was to to deal with the state level Uh, unconstitutionality of the mandates, and hopefully we'll have something in place to help our local legislature rescind these things. But secondly, we had to deal with the local issues, and there's been a lot of people all over in different counties uh, making various efforts to rein in their local health officers. That's the actual term for each county has their own health officer who implements these things we were all trying to fight the local health officers at our various county levels um, with varying degrees of success or lack thereof. Uh, fortunately, in Platte in County, we were better than most. And so the way it ended up happening was there's various health board meetings where they wanted to, where our local health officer wanted to implement various restrictions. Well, we kept, they kept getting voted down by the Board of Health but during the one of the board of health meetings back in October, one of the doctors who is, there's two doctors on the board, one of the doctors who was very much in favor of all the restrictions, made the comment once the restrictions that were proposed in that meeting were voted down, he said, well, we just can't wait a whole another month to the next meeting. We need to get something done right away. It was at that point, the light bulb went on and said, you know, these people are not gonna stop. They're not just gonna be satisfied. They're gonna keep pushing. And it was at that point that we i really put the pedal to the metal of you know not just talking about this with our attorney but okay we need to put something in place so at that point he started drafting some legal theory to uh, put in front of the board of health here in Floyd county and by the time those two or three weeks went by we had another emergency health board meeting where they wanted to put another set of restrictions in place we issued, a, uh, he issued his his letter via public comment. And it was amazing how quickly the county reacted at that point, <laughs> you know. And uh, within a week, through the back and forth with our attorney and the county uh, deputy attorney, uh, he put it in writing very clearly, why are you showing us we have no restrictions in place? Well, that was eureka. I mean, okay, let's go out and proclaim it to everyone that there are no restrictions in Flathead County. But that's not exactly true. And so over the next few days, we, my attorney and I we were just tr- thinking through it and began to realize that it's, just, it's the state health department who has the authority as the code is written to act. And so while we may not have the county implementing restrictions, the governor's restrictions kind of hang over everything. It was at that point we pivoted our efforts to focus on the governor and the DPHHS, which is the state Health Department and bring in the other groups from other counties in one effort so that this this lawsuit will affect not only the governor's mandates, but all of the various counties in the state at one time um, and, and give relief. Injunctive relief is what we're seeking for from any of these restrictions, and there's a lot of legal theory that we can get into as to why that's all in place.
0: Okay, all right. Let me, um, and I'm I'm just muting this because I'm I'm hearing a little feedback on me, and that's probably my fault. It's because we're using uh, Google Voice, everybody, so to bring everybody in. But let let me get you to kind of elaborate a little bit, Pete. You. You know, people who are not in Montana, or even maybe some people who are in Montana who be listening this morning, they'll go, "Okay, what is this Title Ten, Title Fifty that you speak of? Can you kind of break that down as to what those those things are that you're addressing there?"
2: Sure, I mean, Title Ten it gets into it's very not very long, but back in the seventies, the Montana Legislature, and this happened in a lot of the different states back in that time frame we here in montana the legislature back then issued this or putting this in place and it basically authorizes the governor to protect localities to restrain egress in and out of areas um, after declaring an, either a declaration of emergency or a declaration of disaster it it is the part of the code that sort of activates various other sections of the code specifically title 50 to release funds from the state and the federal government, depending on how that's all working, um, so that the local officials can make decisions based on local information and data about whatever that disaster or emergency is. And the connotation really was, you know, a chemical spill. Um, You know, maybe there is an outbreak of uh, something going on at the local level, at a county level. And so, the the title 50 the spirit of it is to give the authority and thus the responsibility and the latitude for the local officials to make decisions pertinent on the situation they're at their local level so that the state government's not just coming in and taking over their government it was never really in my opinion anticipated that we would be using title 10 or title 50 for this type of overreaching arbitrary all-encompassing statewide effort like we're seeing now and it's it's that part of the equation that is unconstitutional when when we start making restrictions that just applies to everybody anywhere and everywhere within my jurisdiction and regardless of the facts that's where we're starting to affect uh, in this case well people we're starting to restrain the access and starting to their egress and ingress and whether they can meet and all these kinds of things of people who are not, do not fall within the authority of the State Department or State Health Department to act. Uh, for instance, they do have latitude and authority to deal with truly infectious or truly sick people, but a broad based mask mandate for everybody, closing down businesses for everybody, including those that are not sick or not infectious, that's where it becomes unconstitutional from a technical standpoint. Um, That's where Title 50 does not – they're breaking the law. They're they're conducting illegal activities at that point. Hopefully that answers your question.
0: Yes, it does. Uh, In fact – let me see here. I was bringing some other things up. I I just want to make people aware when you're talking about constitutional, you're talking about uh, obviously uh, the U.S. Constitution but then also the Montana Constitution – but I, I always want to remind people, those things are based on things that we find from the scripture. Uh for instance in Leviticus, we're we're not told that you go and you quarantine people who are not sick. In fact, there are several steps that you determine if a person has leprosy. And then at that point you, you know, put them outside the city, if you will. You put them in this camp uh together with, with others who have that. But you're you you don't do that for the healthy people that they might have been around. There's there was a process for that. And so I want people to understand when they hear uh, what we're talking about, and I've made this point many times on the show here, this idea that people have to quarantine. My daughter and her husband are coming in this coming week for Thanksgiving from New Jersey of all places. I mean, anyway, uh, I won't even go there with that. But the point is, is when they come here, my wife was saying, yeah, they're going to be here. Then they're going to go see his parents and things. Then they're going back. And they're telling my daughter that she has to quarantine for 14 days. And I'm like, who's going to even know in the first place? I mean, I, I, this infringement upon the liberties of people who are not sick uh, in any capacity and having to quarantine, that just that is a tremendous overreach. And I want to point people back to the fact that our foundations for Claiming that liberty is the Bible itself. I mean, that's that's really where you go to for how God said that you you deal with those who are sick and those who are not. Which is, I think, some something that you mentioned there just a moment ago, Alan.
2: Right, and that's one of the one of the real key points is that the article Title Fifty, as written, has no restraint, no oversight. There's no way for the the well and the people that should not be caught up in this dragnet to. To prove that they are sick or, or that they are not sick there's there's no mechanism by which they are allowed uh due process uh you so your point is exactly right we're you, know, you can't just go out and tell you know everybody you got to stay home uh without giving them the opportunity to prove that they're not an imminent threat to anybody and that's one of the key one of the key points of this whole effort is that it, title 50 in montana and all the states are similar there's broken down in specifics, but The idea here is that the health departments are supposed to be protecting us from true imminent threats. And there needs to be a process by which those that are caught up in this can prove that they are not an imminent threat to society. That entire process has been missing in this whole thing. Um, In addition to the fact that they're trying to affect all people, including wealth people, even the people that may be sick or have no due process before they lose their businesses, before they lose education opportunities, which you pointed out earlier in the show uh that that's a, a glaring oversight in the way that title fifty is is written, and one of the key points that we're going to be attacking
0: okay all right uh Pastor Baldwin, one of the questions I have for you, and this will this will come back in into scripture because i we like to interweave that in here so people understand our foundations, and I know that's very important to you when you uh preach on Sundays. And when you're speaking at places, can you kind of elaborate a little bit uh, on even the point that I was making there about this kind of thing? Because uh, Alan was talking about this thing of the people having to prove somehow with their quarantine or whatever that they're they're not sick or something. It smacks of the same kind of stuff with uh, when somebody wants to buy a handgun that they have to wait a certain period of days uh, that they have to go through background checks and stuff like this. It's it's like it's the complete opposite of who we are as a people, that you're innocent until proven guilty. With all these kinds of things, you're having to prove your innocence while you're assumed to be guilty. Could you speak to that just for a moment?
1: Yeah, I'd be glad to, and and, and thank you for the question. Yeah, every it, this is what so many Christians do not understand, and I, I know that you do, and, and we've talked before about this. But our our form of government, our constitutional republic, our Republican form of government, small r, is based on the, the Bible and, and the natural law principles of liberty given us by God. I've got several messages where I interweave into the, the, the message our Bill of Rights, our constitutional government, is showing how all of that came from the scriptures themselves and the natural law principles of God. You cannot separate our Constitution, our Declaration, our Bill of Rights, and our form of government from the natural and revealed laws of God, impossible. They they are the framework and the fabric, the very fiber of our civil documents. And liberty as understood in our constitutional form of government is sacrosect. It, it cannot be abridged uh, under any shape, manner, or form Uh, according to the laws are upon which our nation was established. So the idea that a governor or a health board can arbitrarily uh, demand that businesses operate in a certain manner under certain conditions, open and close at certain hours, demand that healthy people must wear masks or be social distanced or, or whatever the the restrictions might be are clearly a violation of many of the articles in our Bill of Rights and our and our Montana Constitution and the other constitutions of the of the fifty states. The, the right to assemble, the freedom of worship, uh, the freedom of speech, uh, the right to work, the the freedom to operate a business, etc are all granted to us the protections of that granted by our highest documents this the constitution is the supreme law of the land and no one has a right to violate these sacred texts and of course you and I know and all Christians should know sadly many of them do not because pastors on the whole do not teach this anymore But if they were taught, they would know that these principles come to us from God, our Constitution and the other protections that we have in our civil government are not the the grantors of our rights. They are the protectors of our rights. The rights come from God. The liberties come from God. The freedoms come from God. All of this is a gift of God to us. And it is the responsibility of civil government to protect those rights, not to usurp those rights. So when, when we talk about the, the constitutionality and all this, is we're talking about God-given liberties and the protection of those liberties. And when we reach a point as a society when we don't value liberty anymore and we are willing to just surrender it, under the whims of civil government no matter how at what level we have abdicated our responsibility as freemen and women to maintain liberty for our children and our grandchildren and and let's make no mistake about it that that's what's going on here this is a blatant attack against the liberties of the people i mean it, it it we haven't seen anything like this since the country came into being think about it Tim you know think about it the all the wars that have been fought think of the pestilences that we have faced you know the Great Depression my mom and dad lived through the Great Depression I've heard their stories from the time I was a little boy about that era you know think about during the war for independence Think about the war between the states. Think about the, you know, the, the hurricanes and the tornadoes and, and various infectious diseases that have swept over the land over the last 200 plus years. We, we have been facing disease, pestilence, famine, earthquake, depression, war as a country and as communities from before this country existed. And never, ever during all of that history were the people of this country told they couldn't go to church or they couldn't assemble or they couldn't they couldn't speak or or they had to to wear a mask or they had to stay six feet apart or, you know, they had to uh, abide by these unrealistic and unfounded restrictions upon something that doesn't even threaten the vast majority of the American people. When you stop and think about the coronavirus itself, it has a a survival rate, an infectious rate of of survival of 99-plus percent. Ninety-nine percent of all people that are infected by the coronavirus survive. Most of them, over eighty percent, do not even show serious symptoms. So you know when they start talking about imminent threat, which is the word the language that that Alan used a minute ago, which is very important and it's part of our lawsuit, when when they try to to scare the the entire population into accepting these draconian restrictions and mandates, violating their civil liberties, Our natural rights and our God-given freedoms and they're doing so about a a disease of which threatens less than 1% of the population I mean let that sink in now they're coming out with a vaccine and I believe this is the end game is they want they want to bring the vaccination into the American population and, you know, guys like Bill Gates and Fauci and all these creeps, they're, they're talking about mandating vaccinations for everybody, not just in America, but around the world. Uh, you know, think about the cash cow this is for the major pharmaceutical companies. You know, Fauci and Gates and those people are investing millions of dollars into this, and they're going to reap billions of dollars back i mean this is not a non-profit organization at work here these are mega rich corporations that are going to become unbelievably wealthy over the next few months as the pharmaceutical companies cash in and with immunity taxpayers.
0: let's put in and, with immunity
1: yeah correct with that, that's right because They know, you know, Pfizer just came out a couple days ago and said that their test is 95% effective. Okay, what does that mean? That means that 5%, according to their own research, the the drug maker's research, 5% of the people that are going to be injected with this vaccine are not going to be cured or helped. Well, you know, that... You hear that and say, "Well, well, ninety-five percent effective—that sounds pretty good." Okay, let's put it this way: included in that five percent of of ineffectual drug uh, drug injection it would include anything from uh, maybe a rash, or a, a stomach upset, or you know, mild symptoms, all the way up to and including. Paralysis, permanent paralysis, or even death. So you have a 5% chance, according to the, the drug maker's own, own statements, you have a 5% chance of being adversely affected by the vaccine. And again, included in that would be permanent paralysis and or death. Now you compare that to the disease itself, which if you do nothing, if you do absolutely nothing if you if if you don't take an injection, you do absolutely nothing, you don't social distance, you don't wear a mask you whatever you get the coronavirus, you have a ninety nine plus percentage chance of complete and total survival, and nothing, nothing beyond. Whatever the conditions were, of which eighty percent are mild, from taking place. Well, and let's... yet on that basis, on that quote science, they're demanding that everybody be injected, and that these health departments are using this as a health menace, and it 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 is an imminent threat to the entire population, which is producing all of these draconian mandates and the ultimate goal of, of the vaccine. So you can see that this is a egregiously manipulated, concocted, manufactured disease that is being used to number one, curtail, limit, and even destroy our constitutional freedoms. And number two, forcing people to take what could become a very dangerous and risky vaccination? Who profits? The politicians, the big pharma companies and manufacturers, the hospitals and the medical industry, state governments, etc., cetera, that are receiving all of these millions of dollars of stimulus money, courtesy of Mr. Trump and the members of Congress, Billions of trillions of dollars—six trillion dollars and more coming. Our governor just a couple of days ago has made 75 million dollars available. A bri- this is bribe money, Tim. 75 million dollars that he wants to give to comp to companies and businesses located in Montana, if if they will promise that they will accept his mandates. He will give them a portion of that $75 million. That's bribery. Well, it, That is clear bribery.
0: Absolutely it is. Let, let me ask you something because I know in the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, I don't know about the Montana one, but it has ways of dealing with those who engage in bribery. And, uh, you know, I get, people, when we bring this out, they're always wanting to talk about, oh, it's Democrat Governors and this and the other. Let me just interject something. I live in South Carolina. We have a Republican governor, and this guy gets on there, and you know he's got the political pressure on him. And one of the things that he talks about is he uses that Nazi language of essential, non-essential businesses. And I said, well, wait a minute. Everybody's business is essential to somebody because it pays the bills, it uh, it it puts food on their table, and all of this kind of stuff. And then there's also, you know, I even hate to use the term religious, but it is their conviction, is their conscience born out of what the law of God gives, out of the fourth commandment, where we're told... Six days you shall labor and do all your work, and the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Everybody focuses on the Sabbath, but they forget those six days that you're supposed to labor and do all your work. Paul says that you, the one who doesn't work shouldn't eat. You don't live off the government for it. You're supposed to work for your sustenance. That's a means by which God has given us. He gave it to Adam in the garden to work. It wasn't... This um, It wasn't to be this chore. It wasn't to be this ugly thing, this thing that we hated. It was a thing that we were to do for God's glory. And somehow the state has issued its decree. It's become—I know you had a message several weeks ago uh, where you talked about a beastly system. And the state has uttered its decrees, its laws. And I often point people to that, you know, when you read Revelation 13, 17— I, and I believe it happened in the first century, and that's neither—that's not consequential to our, our our point here. But you know, it's in the right hand of the forehead. And when you go to Deuteronomy chapter six, it—you it, know—God teaches us as people that as people, to, we're to have His His commands in our heart. They're to be in our heart. We're to teach them to our children. They're to be bound on our hands. They're to be as frontlets between our eyes. And uh, and and I see the semblance there. We're either going to follow God and His commands. Or we're going to follow the tyrants, and we're going to submit to them and their cruelties, and we're not going to reap God's blessings, we're going to reap his cursings. And uh, I think the things that you're laying out here, you know, they're happening in various degrees in in different states. Some states have said, uh, I think South Dakota has been one of those, and I think there's about seven or eight others. Besides them, we says, we're not going to impose any of this stuff. This is, we understand, we don't have any authority to be doing this at all. You know, if people feel like they're threatened, that they can get sick, they can stay at home. They, they determined to do that. And the people who have liberty to go out and do what they do and live their lives without being in fear, you know, constantly of getting sick or dying, which, again, like you pointed out before, people have been sick for centuries, for millennia, and the majority of them get well. But eventually, all of us you know the 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 timeline when it's long enough, it's you know one and one die. I mean that's just the reality that we live in and and God tells us that that there's appointed and man wants to die, and then there's a judgment. But the fact of the matter is these are infringements on the law they are costing people, the infringements on the law are costing people their lives when these guys have not yet proven that a person can actually transfer whatever they're calling the COVID, the coronavirus, they can't even prove that people actually transfer it between one another. So it's, it, it's a deception if you ask me. And I think I, I'm not going to speak for you, but I think you, you kind of take the same position of that as well.
1: Oh, I absolutely do. I think it's the greatest hoax in the history of the world. Let me, you brought up the Republican-Democrat subject. So let me just kind of illustrate that point for, for the listeners people, many of them didn't realize that most of what these governors are doing around the country and uh, all the things that we're talking about at the state and, and local level, the the precedent for that and, and the rubric of that was Donald Trump's emergency order that he initially declared back in March, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. Well, that... That emergency order was the the catalyst for the Congress to authorize all these trillions of dollars, which, of course, just adds to our debt and crashing our economy, that all these state governors and local communities are spending. So the, the trillions are made available through the president's emergency declaration okay so these other governors whether they're republican or democrat that have been initiating all of these executive orders of their own are capitalizing on the presidential executive order and what that does is it opens the the the, the spigot for the federal dollars to flow into the state treasury and then from there into the, the county treasury and that goes to hospitals. You know, people don't realize here in Montana, we've tested over half of the population of the, of the state. And the population of Montana is just over a million. And so 500,000 people have already been tested. Well, do you know that for every test, that the medical establishment uh, takes from people, they get $100 for that one test. Now, you multiply that times 500,000. So what's that, $50 million? So they they get $50 million into the state treasury and, and, and various departments just from testing people. You see what I'm saying, and then when if here in Montana, if you are hospitalized for COVID, for every person hospitalized, the medical uh, hospitals and so forth, they receive thirty thousand dollars. Now that varies from state to state. You can look it up for your own state. It's not it's not the same. It's based on some crazy Social Security uh, formula but thirty thousand dollars per person hospitalized here in montana if if, uh, you're put on a ventilator here in in montana the the state gets a hundred thousand dollars from the federal government so there there is no incentive whatsoever for the medical establishment to say you know what the coronavirus isn't it's it's no worse than the flu and, you know, there's no need to do all of this or even to say, you know, there is no pandemic anymore, that things are getting better. And the fact is that they are getting better. You know, as, as they test, the more they test, the lower the rate of death. You know, they don't talk about that. The, the, the test rate goes up, the death rate goes down. They don't talk about that. They make it sound like that if you are tested positive, that you are an active case they call that a case and you're not you're not a case if you're not sick and you don't need treatment you don't need care of any kind but you test positive for corona that doesn't make you a case but they call it that's a case and it kicks in all of the monetary benefits so where they they have no incentive whatsoever to ever allow this to go away the longer that they can continue this the more money they are making so this is a cash cow this is the this is a giant Ponzi scheme, and it, it all started when Donald Trump initiated his first executive order declaring this emergency, of which everybody else is capitalizing on. So then it was renewed in June. It was re-signed in June. It was re-signed in uh, September, and now it was just re-signed again. I might be getting my weeks mixed up, but it was just assigned signed again by the head of HHS in Washington, D.C., who re-signed it until January. So I guess October, I meant to say, so October. And it, so it's re-signed until September. So Donald, and here's something that we didn't realize in Montana until a few weeks ago when we were doing all this research and we found this, that here in Montana, the the actual executive order of the governor well, there's two of them. One was an emergency order and one was a disaster. One, the, one of them expired after, what was it, 30 days, Alan?
2: Yeah, that's right, 30.
1: And then the other one expired after 45 days. So according to the Montana law, the, the governor's directives would have expired after 45 days. But that was a long time ago, right? I mean, that was months ago. Yep. So why is all this yep. stuff still active? Well, here's the catch in in our Montana code it it says it expires after this period of time unless there is a presidential emergency order in place and therefore the emergency order in the state can be extended as long as the presidential order is in place so get this now so even though the state law says that this executive order ended after 45 days and yet here we are 9 months into it and it's still going on and the only reason that it's able to continue is because they're operating under the emergency order declared by Donald Trump. So all these people that are, you know, supporting Trump and thinking he can do no wrong and he doesn't he's not for this. You know, he's not for all these mandates and all this stuff. Well, you know what? If Donald Trump were to sign an order terminating his emergency order, that would immediately terminate emergency orders all around the, the United States. And it would if he really wanted to end this, all he needed to do was to rescind his emergency order has he done it no no he has extended it every three months and he just extended it in october yep again yep. so this is this he is providing all of the incentive financially for these governors to do what they're doing at their state level this is a collaboration between trump and all of the rest of this industry that's profiting. And, of course, when this vaccine hits, hits the public, the profits of this are going to be, I mean, un- unspeakable. I agree. Said, I agree. As you said, with complete impunity, the drug manufacturers cannot be held accountable by congressional law. They cannot be held accountable for any malady paralysis, death, whatever happens, you take the vaccine and you get paralyzed, you're in a wheelchair for the rest of your life, there's no accountability.
0: Yeah, Pastor Bolland, let me let me put you on hold there. We've got about two minutes that we're doing here, and I want to get to Alan for something. Uh, but you're exactly right. People can look it up. Go look up. Trump uh, says that he's the one who determines when, when the states open up. I mean, that's he says it with his own mouth. So he is the one controlling all of that. He's the guy behind the scene. It's like Bradley says, Adolf Hitler didn't pull the trigger on anybody. It was his guys. Now, Alan, we've got a, just under two minutes here, and I wanted to get to something, and that is, is this— What can people do? You've got a document that people, when they go to um, uh, montanatitle50.org, which I'm showing on the screen now, they can click on Plaintiff Responsibilities. Now, this is people who can join. Can you briefly, you got about a minute or so, can you tell people some of these things that they need to do, that they need to be in the state of Montana, can they do it somewhere else? Uh, Can you inform them on that real quickly?
2: So if you go to montanatitle50.org, you have the opportunity to basically reach out and request representations of what you're doing. Once that's done, you'll get instructions from us on how to proceed, and that will entail a questionnaire. That questionnaire was an opportunity where you can document whatever harms or losses you've had from these restrictions. It will also give you the information about how you can become financially involved and at what level. Basically, there's two, you can become a co-plaintiff Um, And then the second option is that you can give to the various um, uh, groups that are involved to help pay the legal fees. Um, So just the main thing to do is to get to montanatitle50.org, start the process. There's legal ramifications and and, um, connotations there by reaching out for representation. Let us get back to you. We'll get you the information instructions, which will include the questionnaire. And that questionnaire is important because it's kind of cataloging all of the loss from everybody around the state in a, in a format that can easily be accessible by the attorney and all that should later on we get into wanting to try to seek monetary harm. That's not what we're after now, but we have the you know, opportunity to make decisions later on. And that way we have all that information in one place. It'll also... Uh, group everybody together, and give them instructions on how to proceed. So I just, and, and we, we overran our attorney's phone lines today. So right. we don't want to do that. Right. That's a good problem to have, but, but go through the website, go through the questionnaire, and everything will be laid out that way. And
0: that will be laid out on SunCelebrityMedia.com. Guys, I appreciate your time, appreciate you joining us. MontanaTitle50.org. See ya.